Hello and welcome to the first preseason team preview episode of the Three Bid League podcast. As always, I am Tyler, joined by Matt. And over the next few weeks, we will be going through each of the 14 teams in depth, as we have done every season so far. This year, we're going to do it a little differently. We're going to tighten the time constraints here because these pods tended to get very long. We're going to keep it to 10 minutes per team. And because so many players transferred, we're not going to go over who left. We're going to just remind you who's still here and who's coming in. And then we'll do a little, do some gimmicks for each of the teams, kind of discuss how they need to get better this year. Because as we've said before, just bringing everybody back does not automatically make you good. And then my personal favorite segment, what are the biggest questions that will determine whether or not a team reaches their ceiling. Matt, are you excited to kick off this preseason preview marathon roundabout? Yeah, that's a great name for it. And I think it's fitting because preseason team previews were how we began the Three Bid League podcast in October of 2018. And back then, some of those freshmen are still around and they're going to be on the first team we talk about St. Bonaventure. So feels like we're coming full circle at the beginning of season four of the podcast. So, and some yeah, of I'm those ready. sophomores, Richmond players. Yeah. Yeah. No, no Richmond tonight, but those guys were there when we started the podcast, they're probably going to be here next year, maybe the year after that and the next year and the next year as Mr. Krabs would say, but Let's, let's start with, I think, who everyone would agree is the preseason favorite of the A-Town. Yeah, in this episode, we will tackle the four Northeast uh, New England, New York teams, St. Bonaventure, Rhode Island, UMass, and of course, future Big East member, Fordham Rams. We're going to throw 10 minutes on the clock here. Hopefully, my phone will be loud enough that you will hear it when it goes off. We're going to kick things off momentarily with St. Bonaventure. The Bonnies return, well, all five of their starters, now seniors, Kyle Lofton, Jaron Holmes, Dominic Welch, Jalen Attaway, Osun Ashunahi. They return absolutely nobody else. Not a walk-on, not a red shirt, not a bench player who played. It's all new over there. Uh, some of the names to watch on the bench, Quandry Adams transfers over from Wake Forest. Kareem Koulibaly comes in from Pitt. And then a, a whole bunch of guys who have never played at the Division I level. Say probably the most mentioned, Juco transfer Linton Brown and freshman Justin Najak Tajore. Yeah, St. Bonaventure. I would have to imagine. I don't know where to find this stat, although you probably can somewhere. But I would imagine they have the greatest minutes continuity in the country just in their starting lineup alone. Obviously, they lose the entire bench, but... Really going through the team preview for St. Bonaventure, I mean, I don't think we need to talk too much about what this team did last year and like how it's going to be the exact same this year from their starting lineup. We pretty much know this team's play style. They're great on offense and defense. But really going through, it, it's tough. I almost felt like I had to nitpick when I was looking for weaknesses for the Bonnies because they really just didn't have very many last year. A very well-balanced team. Yeah, and that's what happens. That's how we should feel about this team, and that's how we understand they really are going to be good this season. And so 
I don't think that much needs to be said about Kyle Lofton or Asuna Shunahi. We talked enough about them the last three years. We'll talk enough about them during the season. And for this team, it's really not about the performance of their stars. It's more about what they can get on the edges to get better. Yeah, I, I really think what made them better last year, pushing them over the top, Jaron Holmes really pushed up his production. Pretty solid his first year with the Bonnies, but last year he turned into an all-conference caliber player, so he's going to have to do that again. And then Jalen Attaway, who transferred in, and suddenly he became one of the best role players in the conference. I'd say one of the biggest questions for the Bonnies this year, we, we know Mark Schmidt doesn't like going to the bench very much. He never has. Last year was maybe an extreme case of that. Ideally, in a perfect world, you would think, based on the transfers you mentioned earlier, you would think the bench would be more talented than it was last year. Do you think this could potentially be an improvement point that the Bonnies will be deeper, or do you see Schmidt still sticking with a very narrow rotation? It has to be. It was a different year last year with the limited number of games, and the Bonnies really only played a two-and-a-half-month season as opposed to the normal four because of their late start. If they're going to play legitimate and if they make the run that they believe they can, we're talking about a 36- to 37-game season, they're going to have to use the bench. I, I would think they should. I, I don't know if they will. It's just, it's just not Schmidt's style. Like, you get Quadri Adams, who's a former three-star recruit from Wake Forest. Seems like he'd be the perfect guy to be a backup point guard, but I just wonder, you know, Kyle Lofton, someone that's consistently played 36, 37 minutes a game throughout his career, will he get a chance? And then you look at Oshun, who I would say is the most important player on the best team in the conference. I just don't know. I know Kareem Koulibaly looks like really one of the best backup centers you could ask for, but... I almost feel like I'm not expecting him to play any more than 10 minutes a game just because Oshun is so critical to their success. Yeah, so we'll – I guess I'll give my first – my well, really more of my second question then um, because it comes off of that. We saw Oshunahi really stay out of foul trouble for the most part last year. It was only an issue probably about two or three games. The year before, it was an issue probably about half the time. Mm -hmm. And so – just one of my big questions, can he do it again? Koulibaly's better than the backups they've had the last three years, plain and simple. This is a guy who was a starter in the ACC on a not that terrible pit team. They were bad, but not too bad. And now he's backing up a superstar. But still, Ashunahi has to be out there for sake of their defense we talked about in the top 20 in the top 21 players pod. I have him as my number one player in the conference this year. He should win defensive player of the year. He's got to keep himself out there. He can't be getting in foul trouble more than a small handful of games this year. Yeah. And 34 minutes a game for a center is pretty unheard of. I would think, especially for someone that, you know, is an aggressive shot blocker. And although Oshun is great, I think he got a lot better last year at avoiding fouls, like you said, but He's also unfortunately had some injuries in the past. Last year he was able to stay healthy, but I, I don't know. I think that is really the Bonnie's best path to success if he can play over 30 minutes a game, no matter how good cool the Bonnie is. But that, I think that's a great question, and I do think he'll, he'll determine how far the Bonnie's can go this year. 
So to me, I guess looking at the Bonnies last year, it, it's kind of tough to evaluate their non-conference because they only played two games against mid-majors. And then their only other game against the non-Atlantic 10 team was kind of unfortunately getting exposed against LSU in the tournament. So one of my questions, do we think St. Bonaventure can handle top-end talent in the country? Because they did challenge themselves this year. They're going to the Charleston Classic early on. They have games against UConn and Virginia Tech. So we'll see. They're testing themselves pretty early on. Look, uh, the simple answer is yes. And I'll go into a little bit more specifics in, in a moment here as to what really needs to happen. But they saw the holes in the LSU game. That was a terrible matchup for them. A team that was led by a 6-7 score at will guy in Cam Thomas and had two really skilled big men to go with them. And they just didn't have the bodies to guard a team like that. They probably would have been better off against any other eight or nine seed in that game. And Lofton and Holmes both were just, quite frankly, awful in that game. And it was the only time all season where neither of them stepped up. So should they be worried? Yeah. Was there pieces of that game that were an anomaly, though? Yeah. They have the talent to hang with really good teams, but they're going to have to clean stuff up to get past probably the first round of the tournament. Yeah, and I think that LSU game, it kind of leads me into my other big question for St. Bonaventure. Last year, they were the number one three-point shooting team in the conference during league play. I think that's got to be really important again this year because really one of the only weaknesses I could find with St. Bonaventure, they were bottom 60 in the nation in field goals attempted in transition and field goal percentage in transition, so... The Bonnies don't really like to run, and if their half-court offense doesn't work against some teams and if they aren't hitting outside shots, that could be trouble for them. I do think since they have four guys in the starting lineup that can hit threes, I don't think it's going to be a big issue, but there could be games like that against LSU where they didn't shoot threes well and it, it killed them. They had no chance to come back. So that's my biggest question, too. Is there a 3 and D guy who's going to emerge on the bench here? Um I would say between Quadri Adams and Linton Brown, there's a decent chance that one of those two will really emerge. But in that LSU game, they needed someone to come off the bench and hit some threes. Lofton was bad from three again last season. Holmes and Welch were both great, but they were both kind of streaky. And their numbers were dragged up by the fact that their good games were just incredible. And they couldn't get that kind of production from Vasquez last year. That's why he disappeared in the rotation. Someone on this bench just needs to shoot 40% from deep. A guy that they know they can get two threes in a struggling first half from. And going along with the LSU game, preferably they need somebody with a little bit of size on the defensive end. Adams is 6'4", Brown's 6'5". That doesn't seem like much, but that's a little bit taller than both Lofton and Holmes. And I expect that neither of them will be as skinny as Lofton and Holmes. They just, they need guys to help out Attaway and Welch on the defensive end. They can't take on the burden of every big wing, every minute that they're out on the court. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just, that kind of speaks to how important it's going to be too for the Bonnies to stay healthy. Can this short rotation hold up through a full season of, 35, 36, 
maybe 40 games. Maybe we're talking about a 40 and O team right now. I don't know, but these guys just got to stay healthy because as of now, until I see it with my own eyes, I'm just not really going to be sold on St. Bonaventure having a proven bench player, especially on the wings. It looks like Koulibaly playing in the ACC. He's going to be solid, but other than that, it is kind of a mystery. So there goes the timer. Sadly, it did not go off, but this is the preseason number one team. We can afford to give them one or two more minutes here. Um, Look, these guys are going to finish top four. We know that. It's a question of can they repeat as champions? Can they win some NCAA tournament games this year? But they're going to have to improve something to do that after LSU exposed them so badly. So what's your one key for this team getting better this season? Ooh, that is, that's a good question. Honestly, I feel like they just need to do what they did last year. I don't even know if there really is anything. I mean, I guess one other weakness, they weren't a great, like, efficient inside scoring team. Their offensive rebounding kept them in it a lot, though, because I think they were, like, 10th in two-point field goal percentage, but second in offensive rebounding. So they need to keep that up, just be as efficient as possible. But if they just do what they've been doing, honestly, I think that's just the simplest answer. But what do you think? For me, the path to improvement is, uh, other than the bench, obviously, one of the three between Lofton, Holmes, or Welch needs to step up in a new way this season. And we see this from Mark Schmidt players all the time where they get better and better by the year. But Lofton was a bad three-point shooter again last year. Holmes stands to have a chance to become a better playmaker, especially if he becomes the backup point guard if Lofton actually sits this year for like a minute or two. And (laughs) Welch could certainly get better going to the rack. But something on that offense is going to have to get a little bit better so that when they run into next year's version of LSU and Holmes isn't hitting threes and Lofton isn't finding the right open path pass. They're going to need to go to something different. It's like this, this shows you how good this team's going to be that we have to nitpick at that high of a level. We need a superstar to find another gear, but that's what's going to have to happen if they have legitimate aspirations of making say the sweet 16. Yeah. It's a, you know, A-10 teams are going to have a tough task. I'd say this is the best preseason team we've seen since the 2019-20 VCU Rams. Oops, I shouldn't have brought that up. Okay, I'm done with St. Bonaventure. I want to see if anything else. Nope, let's take it on to Rhode Island. The Rams come in with, I don't know what their expectations are. I think I've seen people try to make the case that they could get a double buy. But you could also certainly see a scenario where they fall into the pillow fight. This is going to be a team that finishes somewhere in the middle. They bring back basically everyone except Fats Russell, Jeremy Shepard, Ishmael Leggett, Antoine Walker, both of the Mitchell twins. Makai appears to be healthy now. Uh, Malik Martin, Jalen Carey. Really the only big pickup is they get a Ball State transfer Ishmael El Amin. Put up 16 points a game in a pretty decent MAC conference last year and... I would assume they're kind of banking on him being the Fats Russell replacement. Yeah, it's going to be very strange to watch Rhode Island without Fats. First time in four years they haven't had him. And I think we're going to have to see Rhodey play a different style this year. Last year, 
even though Fats wasn't playing his best and he was injured for a good part of the season, but David Cox and Rhode Island were still trying to work through him as much as possible. Now you're right. Now it is going to come down to different guards. Elba Means going to be really important. Jeremy Shepard was efficient last year, but I think he's going to be asked to do more. And then Ishmael Leggett, who had a very steady freshman season. I think he's going to go up from his 20 minutes a game last year. Yeah, Leggett's kind of the wild card here. He had some great games. He was amazing in the double overtime game against Dayton. But when you go back and look, his his stats are a lot lower than you would think. Only six and a half points a game, only two and a half rebounds, although – He's 6'2", so I guess shouldn't be expecting much more than that in the rebound category. But he, he, he left a lot to be desired at times. It's the reason that he didn't make the all-rookie team. I really like him. I think he's going to have a breakout year, and I think he's one of Rhodey's two or three best players immediately. But he probably is the key to them getting better. Yeah, I would say so. I just think the guard position overall is going to be very important. We know Rhode Island has two of the best, well, I'll say at least one of the best in Mikel Mitchell, one of the best interior defenders. And I'm just, we only saw Mackay for seven games, but they're very similar players. I'm assuming he's also a good defender. And then they have Antoine Walker. So the post presence is going to be very solid on that end. I think my biggest question is the guard play for Rhode Island and really what concerns me. I know Fats Russell had the, uh, the label of being a ball hog, but he was an excellent distributor, always near the top of the A-10 and assist rate. Rhode Island is a team, though, under David Cox. They've always consistently been one of the lowest teams in the conference at, in assisting on their made field goals. And I don't know. Do you think Jeremy Shepard or Ishmael Elamine can be a great distributor? Because I just don't think this team has the offensive talent to win with ISO ball, not without Fats. No, and, and I mean, maybe the biggest indictment of David Cox as a coach is he hasn't found a point guard yet. He got lucky that he acquired Jeff Dalton, but Fats what certainly never was. Jeremy Shepard, like, was better than I expected at it last year, but he certainly shouldn't be starting at that position in the A-10. He's a far better shooting guard. Elamine yeah. only put up three, three assists a game at Ball State. He'll have better talent here, but looking up and down the roster, I think they're going to need his scoring. So yeah, and that's what's, they can't rely on tough. him for everything. So Elamine, looking at his Ball State stats, he seemed like more of a traditional shooting guard. Jeremy Shepard certainly played off the ball a lot last year, although if you go back to his East Carolina days, way back in 2017, before the podcast even started, he did have one of the highest assist rates at 30.6 in the American Athletic Conference, so he's done it before. I just wonder if he'll shift more into that role. But otherwise, you know, Ishmael Leggett didn't, he had less than an assist per game, so I don't think he's really a natural point guard. It's that's definitely has that has to be the biggest question mark to me. It probably that's probably the crucial piece for can they be a legitimate double buy contender? For me, the biggest question for can they even get themselves into like the seven eight nine range, as opposed to trying to stay out of the pillow fight, is just can Ishmael Elamine carry it over from Ball State? 
if he can put up 16 points a game in the A-10 like he did in the MAC, then the loss of fats all of a sudden doesn't really hurt that bad. You're basically just kind of back to the same roster you had last year. But if Elamine all of a sudden becomes a 9-10 point a game scorer, then I'm not even worried about the assists anymore. I'm worried about who's actually going to be the one to take the shot after the pass. Yeah, and that would be something much different than what we've seen at Rhode Island historically. So it's a good point. And I, I do wonder, I, I hate like talking about addition by subtraction because I do think Fats Russell was an amazing player. But I think David Cox misused him last year. They shouldn't have tried to go through him so much when he clearly wasn't 100% healthy. So I think having Elamine instead, that could lead to having a more balanced attack on offense. So that could be something that pushes them in the right direction. Honestly, it might speak to the quality of this roster, though, that mm-hmm. Fats was clearly beat up last year. He was he was nowhere near as good as he was the season before, but the fact that they had to just ride him all the way through kind of goes to show you that there was really nowhere else to go. Yeah, that, that is one way to look at it. And uh, I don't know. You, you have to wonder because he clearly, I mean, he left some games with injuries. He, he still had his, his moments where he could win you games, but you're right. Maybe David Cox just didn't know any other way. But I guess the other big question, and I don't really know how you answer this, but Rhode Island was unique last year in that they were sort of the analytics darling of the A-10, kind of like Davidson a couple years ago, where they weren't winning a ton of games. They were around 500 for most of the season, but they were in the 70s or even 60s in Ken Palm. Ended the year dropping off to 111th, but this seems like it could have been a team that underachieved based on their efficiency last year, and they maybe should have won a few more games. I guess my question is, do you think that could potentially be a case where this actually is a good team and they maybe just got unlucky and didn't win as many as they should have? Maybe. I mean, the eye test certainly didn't say it. Yeah, and that's a fair point. I I struggled. When we did our top 21 list, I struggled to even find a guy to put an honorable mention from this group. Unless, of course, the caveat, if Leggett's just amazing. Yeah, No, that's fair. I guess how I would respond to that, the one thing Rhode Island did show they could do last year is these guys can beat good teams. They blew out VCU on the road. They beat St. Bonaventure in a tight game at home. And then in the non-conference, they beat Seton Hall in San Francisco. So that's more quality wins than a lot of A-10 schools last year. I don't know. I think that shows at least they can get it done. It's really just got to come down to avoiding bad losses, which... They had a bunch of at the end of the season when they lost seven out of their last eight. So my big question here, because this is a very talented group. They did not look at last year. Is David Cox going to help them or hurt them? Because the jury is very aggressively out on his in-game coaching at this point. And quite frankly, this roster is just not good enough to get it done on their own. They need him not only to nail the rotation and figure out the proper usage for Leggett, but he's going to have to help them in terms of diagramming some great offense this season. And this is probably a discussion for later, but if this is a pillow fight team or hell, even if they're probably ninth or 10th, possibly sniffing it, that's probably it for David Cox. 
Could be. I, I do think it's going to be tough. He's going to have to adapt losing Fats Russell. But the one thing I do like about this roster for Cox, because I think one of the biggest complaints about him since he's been at Rhode Island is that he hasn't been able to retain any talent. They always have among the most roster turnover in the league. Really, they lose Fats Russell, who is transferring to Maryland, but he was going to graduate in a normal year anyway. They lose Jermaine Harris and DJ Johnson, then, who both were getting about 15 minutes a game off the bench, but not by any means crucial players to the team. And Harris I was hurt that, late in the year anyway. Yeah, so I think the fact that this is really Cox's first year where he's bringing back every, almost every piece of his key rotation, it seems like something that could maybe help him out. But you're right, his coaching is going to be very important this year. So... We'll wrap it up with this, of course. What makes them better? For me, they need to have just some improved play from the forward spots. The Leggett, Malik Martin, Antoine Walker, to me, I think the best way to analogize them is to compare them to a Papa John's pizza. You get it all the time for really no reason. And like three out of those 10 times, it's going to be pretty good. Like, the pepperoni's the right level of spiciness. You're either too hungry or too out of it to realize that the cheese is mediocre. Maybe it's free because someone hit a grand slam. And that was, that was those guys last year. They had great moments, all three of them. Uh, Leggett probably more than the other two. But the other seven out of ten times, you were basically just eating it because it was going to give you more sustenance than the bag of pretzels in the back of the cabinet. And that's what their stats reflected. There's got to be more great games out of those forwards or this team's going nowhere. Yeah, I think that's good. I think for me, just real quick, I'd say they got to get better on the defensive end because I don't think they're going to have the talent to win games with their offense. Like I said, I think they have one of the best interior defenses in the conference, but overall they were about middle of the pack in defensive efficiency last year. So I think the Mitchell twins, Antoine Walker, Malik Martin, those guys got to show up. They need to be one of the most physical, toughest teams in the conference. And I think they could maybe bully their way to some wins. But yeah, their offense, I don't know. It might get results three out of 10 times, like you said, but I don't think it's going to be pretty all the time. And I'll close it with this. Uh, Jim Beheim once brought Jalen Carey to Syracuse. We didn't even say his name in these 12 minutes. Like maybe yeah. maybe he gives them something this year, but Cox is, that's, that one's on Cox to figure out how to use him. I hope so, yeah. <laughs> All right, on to their New England neighbors, the UMass Minutemen, who lost Trey Mitchell to the transfer, but they bring back most of the rest of the crew. Noah Fernandes, Javon Garcia, TJ Weeks, Kyra McCrory, Baji Walker, Colton Mitchell is back, even though he barely played last year. Looks like Preston Santos is going to return from a break last season. And they bring in this kind of random hodgepodge of transfers, some big men, Michael Stedman of Montana and Trent Buttrick of Penn State, and a pair of wings slash guards, Rich Kelly of Boston College and C.J. Kelly of Albany. It's, it's strange looking at an old UMass team, but bringing in all these grad transfers, it's different than what we've seen. And they also, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't even think UMass has any true freshmen on their roster. None. So a little bit different than a couple years ago when they were bringing in all the Woodstock guys. 
So I, that's really the main thing that intrigues me about this UMass team. Just such a, a different makeup of actually having some veterans for once. Yeah, and they're still going to be relying on a bunch of the younger dudes. Javon Garcia, TJ Weeks, Kyra McCrory, three of the four sophomores on this roster are, are going to play a lot of the wing minutes. It's basically going to be them and the two seniors named Kelly. Overall, it's it's really tough to look at UMass's season last year. Unfortunately, they were just hit very hard by COVID pauses. Only got 15 games in. They did get the five seed in the A-10 tournament, which I know UMass fans aren't going to like it, but it did feel a little bit fake at times, considering they, they only beat three A-10 teams during the regular season, Fordham, LaSalle, and Rhode Island. So I think one question to answer is, can they beat anybody else? Because we just we don't really know what these guys can do in such an abbreviated season. Yeah, th- this team's kind of a mystery to me. Because I love the I love the individual parts. There's like 11 guys here that I feel like could have a big impact. But when I start to try to add them all together, it just feels like so much is lacking, especially on the defensive end. Um, they're going to beat – I would actually pose the opposite question to you. This isn't one of mine, but not can they beat better teams because they will and they're going to steal some against better teams. But can they avoid losing to the bad teams? Because I can see the game where St. Joe's literally puts up 102 points on them. Yeah, I mean, that could happen because if you know one thing about both those teams, they're going to love to run. And I would certainly expect UMass to play another very fast style this year, which could lead to some volatile results. You never know how that's going to go. But you're right, that is something UMass has struggled with the last couple years is being consistent and avoiding losing to some very bad teams on the road at times. But I I think with UMass this year, it's kind of like what we just talked about Rhode Island. You're losing one of the most important players in the conference. And in fact, I I think you could make a strong case that if Trey Mitchell was back, he would have been the best player in the A-10 next year. So the Minutemen have just been so used to working through the post. Mitchell... Of course, we didn't get to see him in a full season last season, but um, very skilled all around. Now I think they're going to have to get more production from the backcourt. So do you think that's something they can do? Guys like Noah Fernandes and Javon Garcia increasing their scoring output. So that's right where I'm going with my first question. Because it's it's about everybody, but it really is most importantly geared towards Fernandes, Garcia, and Weeks. Can Matt McCall take those three guys to the next step in their development. Because just like with David Cox, McCall's brought in great talent through the years. But I personally think his biggest bugaboo is the fact that that great talent, when it's impressive as a freshman, hasn't really gotten any better as the years have gone by. Was Trey Mitchell really that much better last year compared to his freshman season? Mm. He had like two extra post moves, but other than that, it was kind of the same. TJ Weeks was an abomination. Uh, Even some of the older guys, like Carl Pierre, never got better from sophomore to junior to senior year. So I really hope that McCall figured out what to properly do with Fernandes and Garcia this offseason. Because Noah Fernandes has a chance to really be special, but he's still a half a step away from it. Yeah, and he's not, even though he was a good three-point shooter, he was a pretty efficient player last year. 
overall he wasn't very high usage only averaging like 11 points a game and I, I don't know if you know either him or Garcia or Weeks one of those guys I think is going to have to go for 15 a game because you don't just replace the the 18 or 19 that Trey Mitchell is getting every night without somebody being that go-to guy I think so the production is going to have to come from a different place on the floor absolutely it, it probably has to be Weeks for the in terms of the scoring, unless uh, unless one of the Kellys really takes the load off. But I think Fernandes is going to have to be the key distributor. There's a lot, like I said, there's a lot of interesting pieces on this team, and I could see Fernandes being right in the heat of the A-10 assist leader hunt. Yeah, I think he's going to have to be. And that is sort of, I guess, staying with UMass's offense next year they've always put up a lot of threes and with their up-tempo style, they're going to have a lot of attempts every game. I'm just wondering without having Trey Mitchell on the court as a center that can shoot the ball, do you think they're going to be able to space the floor quite as well as before and get those open looks? I think having a good distributor like Fernandes is going to help quite a bit, but say they replace, right now I look at UMass and I see, Michael Stedman from Montana probably is their their best like true center option. If you put him instead of Trey Mitchell, he's still going to be a good defender, but not nearly the offensive player that Mitchell was. And I I just wonder, can they still play that up up tempo, run and gun, shoot three pointers style that they're used to? It, that's gonna that's once again it's gonna fall under the shoulders of Weeks and Garcia primarily, and a little bit on the Kellys. If TJ Weeks bounces back, and if CJ Kelly Turns or sorry, Rich Kelly's the Boston College guy. Mm-hmm. If he's playing a lot of minutes, I think the floor spacing will be decent, even though they're going to have two non-shooting bigs on the floor basically all time. But for that, to, for the floor spacing to be good, I think you got to also look at my second question. We've done a good job of tying them together for this team. Um, <laughs> can they get like any interior scoring this year between Santos and the two center transfers? I'm not looking for Trey Mitchell production, but it needs they need to replace three quarters of it. Trent Buttrick's gotten a lot of hype, and I heard that hype before I looked at his stats from last year. I can't believe <laughs> this guy only scored three points a game. I assumed he was at like twelve. Um, they're gonna Same. need they're gonna need those guys to be threats inside because if they're basically just there for defense, then yeah, they're just gonna spread the floor and basically try to dare Buttrick and Preston Santos to score on them two on one. So wait, hold on. You're telling me UMass fans might have hyped up one of their own players like Trent Buttrick. I would have never guessed that. There was some, I think Dr. John said that he was an interesting (laughs) potential guy for this year. Yeah. John Rothstein liked him. I do remember that, but (laughs) I don't know that that is interesting. I do think so out of the big men. I see Buttrick being a guy that can space the floor. He's, I don't know if he's really a center, but he could at least be a stretch four. And they've also got DeAndre Dominguez, who's an interesting player at 6'8". Didn't get a whole lot of run last year, but he looks like a pretty decent pick-and-pop guy. I just wonder, though, you know, I, to answer your question, no. I don't think they're going to be able to get anywhere close to the inside production, unless either Buttrick or Dominguez ends up being a great three-point shooter. But I wonder, I guess defensively for this team, how much can they get away with playing one of those smaller guys inside to keep up their offensive production? 
Because overall, I actually think this is an underrated defensive team. They finished off in the top five in conference play, and I think a lot of that had to do with their backcourt. But I'm just wondering if they did go in a small ball lineup with one of those guys at the five, are they still going to be able to rebound at all? Probably not. I think it's going to be – because they don't really have a stretch four. And that's the yeah, issue there too. Is they're going to be really downside in both spots. Um, so, so, cause we're running out of time here. My biggest key for improvement. Once again, we're so in sync right now on this team. Um, they need to find another plus defender beyond Preston Santos. And I guess Fernandes is kind of there. I but think he's good, but yeah. The wings could potentially be scary. And we obviously just don't know that much about the centers. Um, I think their defense was great, was really good last year because of the schedule, because they played a lot of bad offenses. Could be but part of it. I mean, we, we just we don't know for sure if Preston Santos is even going to play the whole year. I'm always skeptical when a guy just disappears from the team like that. I'm glad he's back. It seems like he actually had legitimate reasons to step away, and he wants to be a part of this program. But I'm on guard, and if they lose him, the defense could be pretty bad. Yeah, I actually think, you know, one of your favorite players, I think TJ Weeks could be the key to that because he had really decent uh, defensive numbers as a freshman, one of the highest steal rates in the conference in his abbreviated season. But last year he came back pretty hard down to earth. So I feel like he actually might be the answer. If he could get back to being a great defensive player, then I don't see why UMass couldn't still at least be an above average defensive team. Hey, look, plain and simple, TJ Weeks being better is the answer to most of these questions and concerns. Yeah. How about this for UMass, though? Like, I know I meant we've talked about their weird schedule last year, but they only played seven of the other 13 teams in the conference last year. So they very well could be one of the most difficult teams to scout. Most of the other coaches just haven't seen anything close to this version of the Minutemen. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, we'll see what happens when UMass actually plays the full conference. But we close things out here with the Fordham Rams. Gone is Jeff Neubauer and his flip-flops. Gone is Joel Soriano. Gone is Chris Austin, who I actually thought would be pretty good on a team that was not Fordham. Um, back is basically just Chuba Ohams, Josh Navarro, and Kyle Rose. They bring in a whole bunch of transfers, um, a, a pair of really High-scoring guards, Darius Quisenberry of Youngstown State, Antonio Day of Florida International. They'll get one year from each of them. They somehow have three transfers from Penn State. DJ Gordon, Abdu Tisimbala, and Pat Kelly. That one's way easier to say. Um, so, yeah, they have as many Penn State players from last year as they do Fordham players. Well, Welcome, Kyle I, Neptune. Do these guys finish higher than 14th? Well, I don't know about that, but if there was ever a team that needed a fresh start, I think it was the Fordham Rams. Just a, another tough scene last year at the Rose Hill Gym. And I, I hesitate to be too hard on these guys because we all know who they beat last year. And let's not mention that anymore, but... I, I do think, even though it's hard for any team to lose so many transfers at once, I mean, even though these guys weren't necessarily all-stars, 
losing Soriano, Chris Austin, and then also Ty Perry, those were three of their key players. So really is just kind of wiping the slate clean and trying to see what they can do with some new transfers. Yeah, and I'll just go straight into my first question here because it has to do, obviously, with the transfers. Uh, Darius Quisenberry, 15 points a game in the horizon. Antonio Day, 17 in Conference USA. These are both mid-major conferences at the very least. I would put them both in the top half of college basketball. Um, Could these two together be the best backcourt we've seen from Fordham in a long time? The bar's not super high, but these are like actual established players. We're not just grasping at straws for, oh, can this guy bump his scoring up from seven points a game to 13? They just have to maintain what they were already doing, and I'm sure they're going to have a license to just absolutely sling the ball. Yeah, I think at the very least with Day and Quisenberry, we should theoretically see a more exciting offense than what we had last year and really it can't get any worse last year for for it to be more boring than the last two years yeah and also fun fact when i was looking up transition stats for the bonnies earlier i stumbled across fordham being having the worst effective field goal percentage in the country in their half court offense so really can't get any worse for them they're gonna move up offensively the question is how much but I think having Day and Quisenberry, that's just going to give some excitement to their games. Especially Day. He had the highest usage in Conference USA last year. Florida International played a really up-tempo style, which will be a breath of fresh air because Fordham just used to bleed the clock dry under New Bauer, and I don't think they're going to be doing that anymore with Neptune, although you never know because Villanova has actually shifted to a more patient style with Jay Wright the last couple of years where Neptune's coming from. So it's hard to say exactly how he's going to play, but yeah, just having these new guards, I don't know. I mean, you're right. The bar isn't that high for them to be Fordham's best backcourt in a while. So I'll go ahead and say, sure. Why not? All right. So I'll, I'll bring up my other question now too, and just kind of kick it off with this, because this is the biggest thing for this season. Neubauer's gone. I'm going to choose to blame these last two years of just disgusting hot garbage on him. This team was unwatchable. We understand that they were terrible. There's a new era now. They actually hired a guy with a great pedigree coming from the Jay Wright staff. And you know what? They're going to be bad this year no matter what. There's basically no path to them getting out of the pillow fight. But there's actually hope this time around. And so the single biggest question for me about Fordham is can Kyle Neptune just build some momentum this year? Can we, can we end the season instead of just making jokes at their expense, like basically thinking about them maybe the way we thought about St. Joe's last year? We're sure they were terrible, but Jordan Hall's fun and Taylor Funk can make a lot of threes. Like we'll get to them obviously later, but can we just have, can Fordham just give us a reason to believe at the end of the year? believe that this coach is going to build something for real here because they just, they can't continue to do this over after years and years of crap. I'm really hopeful that Neptune's going to build something. Yeah, well, I do think the one way that we could actually see some real legitimate momentum from Fordham is at the end of the season, we look back and 
They have two interesting freshmen. Ahmad Harrison, who's a 6'1 point guard, had a handful of Power 5 offers like Arizona State, St. John's. And then Zach Riley, who looks like one of the best incoming players from New Zealand, and he'll be eligible in the second semester. On paper, it seems like that's better than most of the forum's recruits in recent years. So obviously, I think the core of this team will be those backcourt players who are both going into their fourth years of college basketball. But if Neptune can get something out of these freshmen, I think that would be the one thing that could really start building some excitement for the team. Riley's the most exciting freshman they've gotten in a decade. He was really good playing in a pro league last year down in his native New Zealand. And like you said, they won't get him till around the start of conference play, but he could be a nice little shot in the arm for them, especially the first three, four weeks that he plays. No one will have any film on him. Like this is the first time I've said this in the history of the pod for a Fordham player. I'm excited to see what Zach Riley does in January because if the talent is as high as his credentials seem to indicate, he might be starting for them by like his third game on the team. I hope so. I mean, that would just be something that would make me tune into Fordham and I'm sure he's probably going to end up getting redshirted or something like that. And we just have no idea what, what's going on, but it does seem like he has the upside where he could really make an impact from day one. So that would be exciting. Honestly, one other player I am kind of interested to see this year, just because I thought he was very entertaining two years ago, but unfortunately his career has just been riddled with injuries. And that's Chuba Ohams, who didn't make a comeback until the last game for Fordham in the A-10 tournament. And I, I think he might actually be going into his sixth season of college basketball, just because he did have a medical redshirt in there. I feel like he's actually going to be really important to Fordham because he is proven as a good defensive big man. And really, I don't see any other rim protectors on this team. We know he's not going to be efficient offensively, but do you think Fordham can get anything out of him? Or are you expecting him to come back if he's healthy as one of their key players again? Or do you think they look more toward some of their transfers? I expect eight rebounds a game from Chuba Ohams this year and less than that in points per game. He's yeah, gonna and be, I think that's he's fair. fun. He's fun as a rock fight guy because he he can scrap with any big man in this conference, but he just doesn't have that much skill on offense. No, I mean he'll he's the guy that gets his own rebound. He'll go one for four shooting on a possession, but it's because he got his own rebound all three times. He just keeps loose balls alive. And honestly, he he is like one of the few bright spots for the team that makes me want to watch Fordham because last year he, he didn't play and there was no reason to. He's just fun. This is one of the greatest compliments I can give a basketball player, but he's the A-10 Reggie Evans. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I was happy to find out that he came back because honestly, I didn't really know what happened to him last year. I, I didn't realize he was just hurt. So yeah, good for him. But Otherwise, I don't know. I feel like the other potential upside is just having some of these Penn State guys. I mean, none of them played very much under Jim Ferry last year. So uh, I don't know. It's hard to really gauge how much of an impact they're going to have. But anytime Fordham's getting a player from the Big Ten, that, that can't be a bad thing. So yeah, we, I'm interested we talked to about, see those guys. We talked about four different Penn State front court players in the last 20 minutes. So apparently they weren't happy with the coaching change there uh, with former yeah. Duquesne coach Jim Ferry not being brought back. That so, explains it. 
this is for me, how do they get better? Simplest answer of any of the 14 teams score. Just actually score this year. Yeah. Hey, I know how they get better. They got Dave Paulson on the staff. I don't know what he's doing, but they hired him for some basketball role. So get some eight ten scouting experience for Kyle Neptune. Have him on the bench. That, that, that's good. He's a Dave good Paulson, that's a good veteran piece to actually have on your bench. Hey, I mean look, Paulson I know is Dave, more than a Yeah. I mean look, George Mason wasn't great with him, but he's coming off a sixth place season and he knows these players and coaches very well. I actually think that's a pretty good move for Fordham. So I don't know. Good, good for Paulson. Glad he's still in the league. So I'll end it with this. I'm proposing a moratorium now that the Neptune era has begun. I will not be an ass about this Fordham team for at least the first two months of the year, unless this really just looks like Newbauer 2.0. I think this team, this team, I'm actually more optimistic that about them than I have been in any of these four years. Zach Riley was a good get. This coach is exciting. He's going to leave his shirt on. Fordham <laughs> basketball. They might not be terrible three years from now. Yeah. Well, they better be good three years from now because they're not going to be in the A-10. They're probably going to make their move to the Big East by that point. So they better be ready for the big leagues by then. But I, I would say with Fordham, I look, they're going to be bad this year. I feel like they have a better chance of avoiding 14th place than any other year we've done this podcast. Because at least now, bringing in some big-time transfers, getting a couple of interesting freshmen, there's just so many unknowns with this team that if enough of those players break out and things go right, they could, they're not going to be good, but they could get like 11th or 12th. Maybe. And that would build a lot of momentum. I'm not even trying to make fun of Fordham for that. That would actually a lot of progress and something for them to be proud of 11th place in a good season from an underclassman is a step up for the for the rams oh huge step up so and i would love to see it happen because if kyle neptune turns this around i know we all make fun of fordham it's pretty easy they're just a punching bag in the a10 but if kyle neptune actually did something here that would be really good for the a10 having having a program in new york that could actually win some games that would really I, it could elevate the status of the conference and i think we're a long time off from anything like that actually making a difference but i, I i'm just i'm rooting for neptune i think fordham made an exciting hire bringing him in and let's see what happens go rams we all should be this team's been kicked for long enough it's time for them to get back to being decent it's been 25 years but it's time so that does it for our opening preview of the three bid league podcast be sure to check us out if you do the math we got three more weeks to bring these to you we'll be bringing you back three more episodes for the remaining 11 teams thank you guys for or remaining 10 teams i guess we did four today thank you guys for listening to the three bid league podcast be sure to give us five stars on itunes leave us a review everybody stay safe out there and enjoy the remainder of the off season